0: Welcome back, Bill Michael's show, hour number four. Mike Clum is just around the corner. Bill just had to step away for a sec. Didn't say why, but is trusting me to not bring this all crashing down for a couple of minutes until he's, until he's back. Really good conversation so far today. Some really great guests. Kevin Holden is always a treat and very informational. A, a learning experience for me to learn about motorcycle racing and his band Mama Tried. And look, Bill's not here. I don't correct Bill on air. Not that Bill makes a lot of mistakes, but like it's easy for me to sit here for four hours, right, and listen and like when he misspeaks or, you know, names a player or something wrong. I don't correct Bill on air. It's bad form. I do have to correct I was sitting back here in studio when he was talking with Jeremy, that last guest, and they're talking about the band Mama Tried and the origin of the name and it was a Merle Haggard song. It wasn't a like it was, it was not Waylon Jennings. I, I, I have to I have to point that out. Uh, As someone that listens to a lot of really old country, I listen to country from basically every decade except like the last six years. And I'm not really in current country right now. That doesn't mean that it's bad. Uh, But really, anything up until the last couple of years, I was listening to a lot of early 2000s Kenny Chesney the other day. Kenny Chesney was on Radio Row. I didn't recognize him. I walked by him and thought that guy kind of looked like Kenny Chesney. And then I come to learn that he was on with McAfee. Not that I would have had Ken—well, I would have had Kenny Chesney on, but it would have been cool to get a picture. One of, the, one of the first artists I remember when I was very, very young was Kenny Chesney. His early stuff coming out. So I, I do have to make, I don't like to make corrections. Not that I know everything because I absolutely don't, but I do have to point out, uh, it was not a Waylon Jennings song. It was a, it was a Merle Haggard song. Mike Clemens going to be here in about 10 minutes. Bill should be back uh, at any point. We're going to talk to Mike about his Las Vegas experiences, of course, and the Super Bowl and the aftermath of the Super Bowl, because what we do the week after the big game and and weeks after the big game sometimes is, you know, what did we learn about this player? What did we learn about this coach? And every once in a while, you'll have a Super Bowl matchup between two quarterbacks or coaches. You'll have a Super Bowl it has got a lot of legacy on the line. I felt like this Super Bowl. There was a lot of legacy on the line for both teams, right? Patrick Mahomes had a chance to win his third. And I don't have the histories in front of me, you know, Super Bowl quarterback. Who's, who's won? How many Super Bowls? I don't know this information off the top of my head. I'm not a stat nerd. My brain doesn't retain information like that. But I would wager, without even having the numbers in front of me, that there is a, a pretty serious line of demarcation between two Super Bowls and three. Just like it's a big line between one and two, right? The the line of demarcation between quarterbacks that have one Super Bowl and two Super Bowls, that's a big leap. And I would wager, again, don't have the numbers in front of me, but I bet the club gets a lot more exclusive when you go from two to three. And that's what Mahomes was looking to do on Sunday night at the Super Bowl. Obviously did it. Also, a, a little bit of an opportunity cost, a missed opportunity for Kyle Shanahan, right? Because he had an opportunity to win his first Super Bowl. And kind of right the wrongs of his first two Super Bowl experiences, one with the Falcons as the offensive coordinator in Atlanta where they blew the 28-3 lead, and then a couple of years ago against the Chiefs. I don't really fault Kyle Shanahan. You know, losing coach, you always find things here and there. Could have gone differently. Could have called this instead. Could have used this timeout differently. I think Kyle Shanahan's players, both a couple of years ago in 2021, 2022, and... last Sunday against the Chiefs again, interestingly enough, for the second time. Like, I think Kyle Shanahan's players had opportunities to go and win that game. Jimmy Garoppolo missed that throw to Emmanuel Sanders a couple Super Bowls ago. If he hits that throw, we're talking about Kyle Shanahan. He would have been playing for his second ring on Sunday. Instead, he misses that throw. Patrick Mahomes goes on to win. Now, Mahomes made, you know, an unbelievable throw to Tyreek Hill on third and 15 and, and certainly did his part in winning the Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Niners blew it, but the Niners... The players had opportunities to execute and win that game, and I think the same on Sunday night. But the legacy that was added to Patrick Mahomes' reg- resume and, and the missed opportunity to add to Kyle Shanahan's legacy, this is an important Super Bowl in that regard. And I also don't know what comes next for the Niners. Debo is getting older. He's expensive. Kittle's getting older. He's expensive. Barely even did anything in that game. And I know, he's a, he's a blocking tight end, and they do have a lot of mouths to feed on that offense between McCaffrey, Kittle, Ayuk, Debo. Jawan Jennings is very good, too. Debo didn't do anything. Kittle didn't do anything. I guess Jennings did most of it, but Ayuk didn't do anything. There is a sense that, I, I don't know, maybe the ball could have gone to their playmakers more on Sunday night. Ayuk especially. I don't know that that was the matchup for Debo. If you look at wide receiver profiles that succeeded against a really good Chiefs defense, really good corners, really good secondary. Um, but I, I I feel like maybe their offensive game plan could have been a little different, but they had a lead. Right. That pass rush, Chase Young and Bosa and Kinlaw and Armstead, they had a chance to go after Mahomes and get them and close out that game, and they couldn't do it. I know Kyle Shanahan probably shouldn't have taken the ball to start overtime, but it's not like he completely took away a chance to win from his team. They could have, they still could have won. Right. And overtime, and I've been saying this a lot on my show from four to six, like the Niners still need to get six and prevent the Chiefs from getting six. Whatever order it happened in, right. We can, we can nitpick it, but. It's not like the Niners didn't have a chance to win. Bill, I, I did have to point out while you were gone. That, yes. Uh, I had to make a slight correction. That Mama Tried was a Merle Haggard song, not a Merle Waylon Haggard, Jennings song.
1: Yeah. When he said uh, Outlaw, I thought it was the Outlaw, Waylon Jennings. And, yeah, I was uh, it was Merle Haggard. And you let so him correct. go with it. You didn't make your guest look bad, which I can respect. No. I appreciate it. No. Well, I don't think he knew off the top of his head because he didn't come up with the name of it. He's got two partners, uh, Scott and Warren, and both guys are great guys. But those two are the guys that came up with – the mama tried side of things so i think well, because they're the ones that really kind of brought it up so to speak i don't think he uh and he he might have been nervous too who knows i don't know but it was fun it was good stuff and he had some people downstairs that uh, they wanted to say hello so went down and kind of showed them around a little bit and then you did a fine job for the seven minutes that i was gone so <laughs> sometimes when you're when it's just you and you're home alone you you don't have secretaries, you don't have people working the front desk, you don't have, you know, anything like that. So you just kind of, you're like, okay, I'll, I'll show you out. Because the, the one good thing about what, what I do and where I'm at is like when we get guests, I have an automatic, like my garage door opener and the internal doors are all automatic. So I can just say, here you go, come up the stairs, and you can follow the sound of my voice when you get inside. And once you're in, let me know, and then I will go ahead and shut all the doors and lock everything back up because I can do that remotely now. But, uh, but yeah, today it's like, ah, can I see this? Can I see that? And uh, so I said, yeah, you know, we'll
0: get Grant to take it for a couple minutes. So thank you, sir. My goal is so- to just not bring the show crashing down. And I, <laughs> I think I accomplished that. So I'm happy. Right. right. Um, so
1: you were talking about Super Bowl. And you were talking about uh, what, the Kyle Shanahan uh, thoughts as far as, uh, you know, not taking the ball.
0: Well, really what I was doing is I was I was trying to switch the topic to kind of set the stage for Mike Clemens, who's going to join us. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mentioned Shanahan, like he could have done a couple of things better, but I don't know. We always feel the need to scapegoat and blame somebody. And I watched right. that game. It's not like his players didn't have chances to go win and make plays. Here's my question. Does he deserve to be crucified the way he is?
1: Uh, Cause I don't think so. I mean, he had, look, I disagree with the way he did overtime, but does he deserve to be crucified the way he's been? No. You know what I mean? No. Nitpicked, yes. Crucified, no. So, uh, because they're, I mean, nationally, they're killing them. And I'm thinking, you know, and they're killing them because his players didn't know the overtime rules. And that looks bad. You know, whatever. But my argument is, let's say they did. Let's say every player knew the overtime rules. 100% understood them. Would it matter if they took the ball first? If, they, if everything still played out the same, what would it have changed if everybody on that team and on that field knew what the overtime rules were?
0: Maybe their mindset is a little different, but also, like, it's overtime, and you're in the Super Bowl, and you're playing Patrick Mahomes. Or are you telling me that your intensity wasn't quite up because you didn't understand the situation? Like, come on, man, it's over. You need to go score six, and then the defense, right. you need to get a stop. That doesn't change just because the order of the possessions, or it shouldn't change. Right. Exactly. And that's that's kind of my point is, is that
1: if if your head coach says we want the ball, unless, of course, you got a guy like what? You know, (laughs) Jair Alexander that runs out and tries to screw up your coin flip. But if if by chance your coach says we want the ball. If you know the rules, do you play harder? No, you know, you, you may know that. Even via the old overtime rules, you went down and scored. They get a chance to possess the ball. Now, you know, you got to keep them out of the end zone. So it's not like you're going to play that much harder. You know, you're not playing a full quarter. If they score a touchdown, it's over. So I don't know what the whole, well, they didn't know the rules. Well, Shanahan did. And that's all that matters. You may not agree with his logic, but he knew it. And that's all that matters. And and that's my argument is, I, look, Shanahan's a good coach. And it took Andy Reid a while to beat down the door and finally walk through it. Maybe Shanahan against his opportunity next year, the year after, the year after that. But that's the one thing that I don't understand is I'm listening to the national people play over and over and over again. Players in that locker room who said, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really understand the full extent of the overtime rules. I didn't know what they were. I didn't know they had changed. But if your head coach does, I don't think it matters because it wouldn't have changed any circumstance. If you still take the ball first, it still plays out the exact same way. There is nothing that knowing the overtime rules, whether you did or you didn't, would have changed the outcome of that game. Unless, of course, he doesn't take the ball first and decides to give it away. So let's do this. We're going to step away. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Mike Clemens is going to join us. We're going to take Mike the rest of the way. Just kind of kind of wax nostalgic about the week that was. Stay tuned. we got a lot more of the Bill Michael Show coming up right after this.
2: This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
1: Good to have you back, Bill Michael Show. Continuing on on his Friday. Getting ready for the weekend, kind of a weird weekend, weekend without football, but you have the uh, Daytona 500 coming up this weekend. You've got golf in the Genesis this weekend. You've got pitchers and catchers have reported. You can see some baseball action this weekend. You've got the NBA All-Star game this weekend, so a lot going on, a lot going on out there. Joining us now on the hotline is our guy, uh, Mike Clemens. Michael, how you doing, buddy? Glad to, uh, glad to know you made it back from Vegas, unless you're still there in jail. <laughs>
3: no, game close. Now, your trip back now, you had the flight delay in Dallas. Was that due to yeah. weather?
1: No, it was, uh, it was we, – we flew to Dallas. We were a little bit late getting in, and we thought, oh, my God, we're not going to make our flight. We had a connector, and we waited – I think it was like 45 or 50 minutes. The, there was a, a team from MSOE. I don't know what they were, or, or but it was a big group of people, and their flight was late, and we were their connector. So they held the flight to make sure that everybody could make it on. Because it wasn't like you were missing one or two people. I think it was like 12 to 16 people that would have missed their flight. Mm. So it was a group from MSOE, and, which is fine. We waited for the, uh, the college kids. And uh, we had a great time. And it was a good flight coming home. But it was just we got back late. It was about 1.30 by the time I got home.
3: I sat on the tarmac at Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport watching them de-ice, de-ice the plane twice.
1: Then mm-hmm. go back
3: to the gate to refuel. And, you know, I haven't seen cool. that very often. But, you know, when you realize, the pilot says, yeah, we're not sure that they got all the ice off the plane.
1: And we just want to make sure.
3: That's Take a little bit time. more of an interesting takeoff. When,
1: yeah. You know. Take your time. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> Take your time. I'm good with that. You know, whatever you need. Hey, I got a scraper in my bag. I can help you. I'll go right. out, yeah. do the windshield, yeah. whatever you need.
3: I'll come out and help. Whatever you right. need. And then, you you know, I'm sitting at the back of the plane and I'm taking a, a real close look at the flaps. Like, are those working? <laughs> yeah, okay. All righty. Just making sure. So, listen, if you don't mind today, I really don't have anything about Packers. There's a lot of good stuff we got about Packers. Thank you to this show for having such a great uh, setup and an established thing now at the Super Bowl where people come to you and ask you how to do it and where you can lure you know, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers over like uh, Jordan Love and, and Donald Driver and all that stuff. That's really – it helps me to, you know, gather information about the story. But I, I wanted to share with some folks, this is like stuff I didn't even have time to play during the week of the Super Bowl because there's so much going on every day. Mm-hmm. But I, I find this interesting football stuff that Matt LaFleur and his coaches or Brian Gutekind and his staff are going to have to face. Like you talked to Matt Nagy, offensive coordinator. Who, if Andy Reid had decided to step down this week, probably would be the new head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. I think he's the next head coach in waiting, if and when Andy ever decides to to step down. But you know, you're in a circle of conversations at the Chiefs hotel, and they're talking about their running back Isaiah Pacheco. Now, you know, this is a a, a question mark that the Packers are going to face in Gutkin's. Seemed to indicate that Aaron Jones is back because he had such a great last half of the season. But look at, look at the Chiefs. Look at their offensive coordinator talk about how much difference this guy makes in their offense.
4: This is a guy that literally, like, you have to tell him in walkthroughs in the morning
0: on a, on a Wednesday and Thursday, slow the heck down. You know, I mean, it is nonstop. He only has one speed, but the guys love him. He's so coachable. He's still young. It's his second year. You know, he's young. The offensive linemen love him. He's so physical. Um, He's still learning, and he's becoming a leader, which is not talked about enough probably. He's becoming a leader within this offense. So uh, he's he's obviously a huge part of this offense, and we're going to need a lot of them.
1: You know, Mike, it was interesting because you sat there and watched that game, and the Packers beat the Chiefs. The Packers were within a play or two uh, of beating San Francisco, and you're thinking – there, but for the grace of God. You know what I mean? It's, it's like the, the margin of error in the NFL when you get to the postseason is so minute that it's one possession, it's one thing that changes the momentum of a, of a game that t- can turn it in your direction, and that's it. And, and it was so weird to think that the Packers could have been there.
3: I'll give you a prime example. Take the 49ers. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for Kyle Shannon because I, I think that Matt LaFleur is a smart coach and capable, capable of getting a team to the Super Bowl and winning one. And, you know, everything that Matt has learned has come from this Shanahan family when those guys were all together with Washington and uh, and other, you know, roots of that Mike Shanahan offense from the, the Broncos beat the Packers with two years in a row. So I'm interested to see, though, why Kyle can't get such a powerful roster to the next step. He, he failed four years ago. I think he kind of choked with Jimmy Garoppolo, and he thought... He got away from that great running game that beat the Packers because he, he was afraid he couldn't keep up with Patrick Mahomes scoring-wise. And he almost did the same thing the other night, I think, uh, when it got to that overtime. When he was asked after the game, uh, uh, well, first of all, I talked to Spagnolo you know, about uh, th- this game against the Packers. I talked to Spagnolo against the Packers. And I asked him what impressed him most about that that Packers was it Jordan Love was it the young receivers when the the Chiefs lost 27 to 19 to the Packers on December 3rd at Lambeau. What impressed you most that
4: night going against Love and those young receivers? Yeah, boy, I will tell you what, they they did a nice job against us. They um, it, it felt like it all clicked for them that particular night. We couldn't find a way to kind of get him off to the point that I thought they did a great job. I thought Matt Matt did a great job in that game. I told him that after the game, too. That was really impressive. And we needed to find ways to get a little bit better after that game.
1: You know, Mike, uh, and you had mentioned that Shanahan in, uh, you know, the, uh, the postgame presser, he talked about the overtime. And I had said before, like, if the guys don't know what the rules are, it's not going to change anything. I mean, it depends on when you take the ball. And Shanahan, I didn't agree with it, but he explained at least why they took the ball. Right. And think about this, too.
3: Look, look for turning points in Super Bowl 58. How about the one where it's like late third quarter and the 49ers defense has stopped Mahomes and the Chiefs defense again. So the Chiefs have to punt. Ball comes down. hits some kid named Daryl Luter in the back of the leg. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a live ball. Chiefs recover and they're ready. First play. Set, plant, throw, Mahomes to Marquez, Valdez, scanlon touchdown. And they take the lead. You know, those kinds of things, like you're talking about, that can change on a dime in a Super Bowl. So then after this loss, Kyle Shanahan was said, why did you take the ball to start to overtime in the postgame period?
2: Uh, it's just something we talked about. with, You know, the, none of us have a ton of experience of it, but we went through all the analytics and talked to those guys, and we just thought it would be better. We wanted the ball third. Um, if both teams matched and scored, we wanted to be the ones who had the chance to go win, and um, we got that field goal, so we knew we had to hold them to at least a field goal, and if if we did, then we thought it was in our hands after that.
1: I, Mike, uh, I, and again, I don't necessarily agree with it because it's basically giving Patrick Mahomes four downs when you just took the ball and you only had three and had to figure it out. So, you know, if you know you got to score a touchdown, then you're not even thinking about kicking a field goal. You're going for it again, and that makes the, the decision easy. So I don't agree with him. But I understand where he's coming from in that. So then you go to the team. You know, this is the best part about Super Bowl the access you get to all these players.
3: They take them out of the locker room, they put them in these little mini press uh, conference booths. And I've listened now to some of these interviews in their entirety. Some that I, you know, I can't be at, at 20 different players at the same time. There's things that I can sort of get an earshot. I heard that Shanahan comment, and I thought, okay, that's a typical Shanahan kind of answer. Yeah, we wanted to know where we would be third. You know, really deep analysis mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Kyle Lucek is, a, you check, is the a fullback. Now, you know, he was saying things like, yeah, we're this sad. This is really disappointing. We, You know, we would put in all that work. So, you know, he's part of the team. And then he was talking about, though, you know, we've got to go for it, man. We're, we were that close. we got to be like the Chiefs. We're going to go for it. And that's what led to this question.
2: Super Bowls are won by taking it. And you know we 've seen that team take it, um, and they did and, and uh, it 's just something something I wish we would have done better you know what i didn 't even realize that the the playoff rules were different in overtime, so i have, I assumed you just want the ball because you score a touchdown and win, but I guess that 's not the case um, so i don 't really i don 't totally know the strategy there. I think you guys no, no, we haven't talked about it, no.
1: Which is interesting because you go to the uh, chief side of things, Mike, and Andy Reid had had everybody schooled on what they were going to do throughout the game and what they were going to do if there was overtime and how they were going to play it and the plays were going to call. They had already gone through that. So they were more prepared for the overtime in case it actually came about.
3: Yeah, Justin Reed was a guy that we talked about uh, that I got to interview back at the team hotel and, you know, post game. He's very articulate. He's going to be like the next Ryan Clark, I think he'd be a broadcast. He says, "Oh yeah. No, Andy brought that up last summer." And we talked about that for 2 weeks about some of the rule changes including overtime. No, nah, no, we Yeah, we went through those scenarios last summer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. so now the reporters onto it, okay? Now, now the sharks are in the water. So they go up to Eric Armstead. Defensive lineman for the 49ers, who, by the way, turns out he was playing on a torn meniscus. He had to have surgery now after the game. And so this is Armstead Ask: were you surprised that your head coach, Kyle Shannon, elected to receive instead of defer the defense in the overtime?
1: I didn't even know about the new uh, playoff overtime rule, so it was a surprise to me. Um, Yeah, I didn't even really even know what was going on. In terms of that, they put on this
2: the scoreboard, and everyone was like, oh, even if you score, they get a chance still,
1: so.
4: Did the coaching staff ever approach that at all this week, letting you guys know that there is a time when it goes to OT, like these rules are different?
1: I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware of it, Um, yeah, so. I mean, he sounds like in some way, shape, or form he's a little upset, but my question Mike is were guys mad they didn't know that it wasn't explained to them?
3: You know what? It's cuz they were getting questions about it. They weren't prepared to answer the questions. Yeah. You know. And then right. there you've got a veteran defensive lineman saying, "Yeah, I first learned about it on a scoreboard." Wow. <laughs> you know. And and listen to this. So so the, the 49ers get back home. The dust settles. They clean out their lockers. And then John Lynch, the GM, who's, you know, former, he's a Hall of Fame safety. I think he's done a pretty darn good job as a GM out there running that scouting department. And Kyle Shanahan, who said, I haven't even seen the tape yet. I can't deal with it. I went home last night and watched movies with my family. He also admitted, oh, by the way, he was also asked, any coaching changes? Oh, no, no, no. And three hours later, he fired Steve Wilkes, as defensive coordinator. (laughs) But anyway, here's these guys talking about... That whole fiasco about the overtime and when, what went into the decision making.
0: Some of the players after the game said they did not know the rules, the new rules for overtime. And Brock just said that he kind of went to to Brian right at the start of overtime for kind of a refresher of, give these are the rules, right?" It, was it important, do you think, for the players to know
2: the the, diff, the new rule as it pertains to overtime in the playoffs? Well, yeah, I mean, we we did say and we told everyone as we were waiting for the coin to hey, review everyone with to make sure they're sure before we go out. So we asked the position coach to do that, but I didn't cover it in a meeting on the Super Bowl week. I don't think that changes anything. Um, we did it with our analytics department. We decided that going into the playoffs. What, you know, I think you guys know how I've explained how I make decisions with that stuff in the past. I take all the information I can get, um, especially ones I haven't been in, and um, our analytics felt that was the best way to go. But as you guys know, I don't always just go with that. Uh, I take into account what they say, what they think is right, and then I go off my gut in the heat of battle. And I knew what they felt going into it. And when I think about that during the moments I have to make the decision, I think the type of game it was did match what they felt was the best way to do. It did seem more like a field goal game. Some other context I believe we just closed, I think it was 11 play drive that we just closed the game with. And when you're playing Mahomes, you're chasing them a lot, you know, so there's a lot of effort that's expended. I think, you know, the context from there is you, you need some time to get fresh. And so all those things play into it. And, and those, those were sound decisions.
0: That, that was a decision that was made during the week, well, basically. Yeah.
2: I mean, you always, I mean, analytic decisions are made on a piece of paper. So you can read that and understand math um, and what they think about going off that. But that's why but I always make it in a heat of battle with that information. And, I mean, if it was like the Super Bowl the year before, the one that seemed more like a shootout, I think I might have, felt a little bit differently.
1: Interesting stuff. Let's do this. We'll step out. We'll take a quick break. We got Mike Clemens on the line with us, kind of wrapping things up for the week that was last week in the Super Bowl. This portion of the program brought to you by our friends at Kane and Kane Jewelers in West Bend. They want to rock your world. That is Kane and Kane Jewelers. If you didn't get something for that special somebody for Valentine's Day, there's still time. Head out there today, this weekend. Maybe you'll see them next week and go, surprise! So you didn't forget about them. You're good to go. Kane and Kane Jewelers, they want to rock your world in West Bend. Go to Kane, K-O-E-H-N. Kanejewelry.com That is Kanejewelry.com. More with Mike Clemens coming up. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket. This is the Bill Michael
2: Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
1: Welcome back. Good to have you. The Bill Michaels Show. We continue on. They have got uh, the Battle of the Bands, so to speak, getting ready to uh, take place at uh, the Four Seasons Island Resort, and that is up in Pembine, Wisconsin. And it's called Cabin Fever Music Fest. It's four bands called Rocker, Fire on High, Neon Detour, and Rapid Transit. It's going to be Friday night and Saturday night, March 8th and 9th. Now, if you're going to go and you want to go up, uh, they have uh, they a total of 55 rooms in the place, but I think they only have about 30 left. But this is what you get. You get two nights of lodging, the tickets to see the bands, free tap beer. And probably could perk your ears up right there. So you get music, you get the beverages, you get two nights lodging, the whole thing, and uh, you get a discount, too, if you go and uh, tell Barb you heard it right here. Call 715-938-5110. That's the Four Seasons Island Resort. For the Cabin Fever Music Fest. And plus, you just get a chance to get away and go spend some uh, weekend on the island, which is nice at the resort. Got the big, you don't have to go listen to music. You got the big pool, the hot tub, the sauna. You got the Diamond Room, the lounge upstairs. You got the bar downstairs, obviously. But uh, they've got less than 30 rooms remaining. Two nights lodging, all the bands, free beer. And you can give them a call. Uh, call our girl, Barb, 715 938 5110. 715 938 5110. Make sure you tell them here that you heard it here, and you get a discount. Not a bad way to go. That's the Four Seasons Island Resort, Pembine, Wisconsin. Mike Clements joining us on the hotline. So, Mike, uh, as we continue to wrap up, uh, you know, kind of what went on uh, our Super Bowl week. It was kind of cool, though, when on opening night you got a chance to – to, I just said, hey, look at that guy right over there. That's uh, Mark Davis, I believe. The only guy standing out on the field in a Raiders uniform, so to speak. He's got a, a Raiders hoodie on. And then you look and you're like, wait a minute. He doesn't have that straight-out bowl cut anymore. I think he's growing some hair or something. But it was Mark, Mark Davis of the Raiders. Well, see, and
3: thanks to you, because I was on the opposite end of the field. There's all this activity with the press conferences going on. The TV cameras, the bands are blurring. The fans are in there cheering inside Allegiant Stadium. And I think I texted you like, "Hey, where are you guys at?" Because you were shooting some video at the upset of the field. I'm down here in the end zone by Mark Davis, and I'm thinking, "Oh oh, oh I want to talk yeah. to this guy." And people say, "Why would you want to talk to that?" Actually I actually was a guy from CBS Radio said, "Why would you talk to him?" I go, "Are you kidding? That's an right. NFL owner. Do you know how hard it is to get NFL owners to talk?" And, and so you know, he comes walking in, and it, here's the thing about him. And I did a little bit of digging, you know, on the, kind of on the plane ride home about it. So your dad is Al Davis, and a guy who played football, coached football, and starts, you know, as part of the starting up the team as a as a coach, and then a general manager, and then he became an owner. And the Davis family, Mark only owns forty seven percent of the team, but he's got the controlling interest that he inherited from his father. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in Al Davis's, you know, house, you know, just wind baby. And, you know, you're short, and you're not a football player, but, you, you know, you hang around the team. Mark Davis went on to do things like uh, come up with all the marketing for that Raider cap. And you have to agree, you know, besides Packers stuff, Raiders caps are everywhere, right?
1: Mm-hmm, right. So,
3: and, you know, he's like our age or so. He's uh, like his mid-60s or so. He's, um, and at one point, he started learning some of the, the business end of teams, and in the early 80s, when he was probably in his mid to late 20s, Cliff Branch, one of their star players, was having a contract negotiation, and that he ended up negotiating a deal with a team where he got Cliff annuity. So just like winning a lottery ticket, it's like, all right, we won't give you a solid lump sum. We'll pay you for, for the rest of the life. And the Raiders had to pay him until he passed away, like in 2019. Yeah. That deal. By the way, that deal got him kicked out of his dad's house. <laughs> Al Davis kicked Mark Davis out of the house because, you know what, you're getting too close to the players, okay? You're not representing the family or the ownership of the team, which is pretty interesting. So, you know, Mark Davis is a guy who's like in the perimeter. He, he runs the business, and he, he's trying to figure out how to grow the business. He's, they say he's worth about $1.9 billion. And now uh, to me, uh, you know, I, I thought, know, well, don't take the Raiders out of Oakland. You know, they, they, think about, you think about the pit, and you think about all their, their fans are down there. But you know something? Some time that I spent when the Packers were in San Francisco, the crime in Oakland is just out of control. Yeah. It's out of control. You know how well run an in and out Burger place is, just like any Culver's yep. in the state of Wisconsin? Okay, so they've got a wonderful run, uh, great in and out Burger place. That happens to be in Oakland, not far from the Coliseum, which was built in 1965 where the A's and the Raiders have been playing. They have to close it down. They're getting 1,500 police calls a year to that location for people getting their cars stolen, carjacked, uh, fights that break out. And they, you know, the business can't do anything about it. It's a profitable place. They've got their, they're busy all day long. They're closing it down because they're in fear of their staffs. So that's how crazy things have gotten out of control in Oakland. And when you hear stories like that, you say, you know, moving the team to Vegas here wasn't such a bad idea. Really? Right. In terms of, you know, and that and that city, you and I talked about this while we are there, that 20 years ago the only thing happened in that town for sports was UNLV basketball. Right. With Jerry Tarkanian there at, you know, Piro's Restaurant. And I talked to Mark... Davis, I told that to Mark Davis, and he said, "Oh, Pierce, yeah, that was that was Jerry's place." <laughs> he actually said that. So, so here's Mark Davis, and he, you know, he's been working for ten years to get a to get the team into Vegas to build that stadium and then bring a Super Bowl to that town. And so, you and I are down there at opening night with all those players and coaches and the fans and everything. And he comes walking in the end zone, looking around like you know the last man of the party, like. Wow, we and we—he was getting his first glimpse of opening night and Super Bowl Fifty-Eight that he put together to host.
4: I, I hadn't soaked it in these last couple weeks. I'm just soaking it in right now. This is really the first time the reality is really striking me, being in this stadium. I and mean, I've been here about 20 minutes or so, and it's just starting to to strike me of how big this really is.
2: How often do you expect the
4: NFL to come back here for the Super Bowl? I say every year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what will it take for the Raiders to come here one day And have a nice Super Bowl with the Raiders in
1: it? Well, we got to win yeah.
4: That's it, just win, baby
0: Just like their bets
1: Yes, sir uh, You know what, Mike? I, I will say this That town handled it really, really well it Was I mean, the congestion was obviously the congestion Because they had the live tournament going on They had a convention going on They had a Super Bowl going on And then just the normal influx of people that want to go to Vegas going on but I'll say this, they handled it really, really well.
3: So, you know, we can go on and on about Mark Davis' stories. And I think an average football fan is saying, like, right, Mike, the Raiders suck. I mean, they're one of the worst teams in the world. And then he spends $100 million for 10 years to bring in John Gruden. And look mm-hmm. what that mess turned into. Right. You. And then Josh McDaniels, and look at that mess turns into you. And he pays over 130 or 150 whatever it was, to Devontae. Adams to bring him in and all that, and and to me, I he's not a football guy. He's actually the first guy to sort of admit that he's you know he's a he's a he's a, a circus guy. You know he puts on a show like right. and Jerry Jones said something interesting after the Packers had blown him out, and he went in the hallway and talked to the media. They said he said it took him about the fourth quarter to really sink in what was going on. Because his mind was in the next week's game, not from a football standpoint, but like, we're bringing in bands, you know, we're bringing in, we're flying in stars. we, You know, we've got sponsors to take care of. That's what these owners work on. I mean, that's why they hire football guys. But, you know, Jerry Jones wasn't, he was just, it was a blur to him that his Cowboys, their season was ending before his eyes. And so you talk to Mark Davis, and, and he's like, the reason I wasn't even here is because I'm working on those, all this other stuff. Like, because he was asked about how, how big a following he's got with Mexican folks, Hispanic people that follow the Raiders team.
4: Well, you know, I think it's huge. It's always been part of our DNA. This Sunday, we've got lighting the torch are going to be three Raider Super Bowl MVPs. Fred Biletnikoff, who's white, Jim Plunkett, Hispanic, and Marcus Allen, who's black. The Raiders are diversity. And our greatest players are diverse and the Hispanic community means so much to us. And we're very proud of it.
1: It's, uh, it's interesting because I mean, they do have, I mean, obviously been in Southern California or in California in general. I mean, they're in Northern California, but uh, where Oakland was, but California in general, obviously a very diverse state anyway. And they've had that following that is then trekked with them all the way over to Las Vegas.
3: Yeah, that's who they're playing to. That's the brand that they're building and, and everything. And so that part's interesting. The other thing, about it is this. So, you know, know, Mark is like a promotions guy, you know, a showman. He's not an X's and O's guy. And by the way, you know, Al, his father was married to Carol Davis. She was a fashion uh, designer. Uh, Al met her in in New York. So she's actually technically the, the owner that he handed it to her. She's 93 years old now, still alive. But Al Davis, when he was getting sick, and in his just about a year or two before he passed, he did an interview, and they said, who will inherit the team? He says, well, Carol, and, and my son Mark. But, you know, they'll, I feel good because, you know what, we've got a close friend who always consults us. Any questions they have about football, they can call him. Do you know who he said?
1: Mm-mm.
3: Ron Wolf.
1: Really? I didn't know that.
3: Ron Wolf worked for them as a scout. You know, Ron was never a genius. That so I knew, but I didn't Green know he Bay.
1: relied on. I didn't know he relied on Ron Wolf that much. Right, I know because you've interviewed Ron several times, and especially when he came yeah. to this book. So he
3: worked all those years in the '60s to build those John Madden teams. Then later he went to work for the for the, and now you know, uh, you know. Then he goes to the Packers and he becomes the Hall of Fame General Manager. That's the guy that they pick up the phone and, and call from time to time, like. Like a devontae Adams question, yeah. and so you know I asked I asked uh, 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 Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, about devontae Adams. Leadership?
4: Oh hell, he's a great player, but that's easier. You know that's that's an easy answer. But leadership is what it's all about.
3: Was there a moment though when he got into his first couple of games in the silver and black where you just thought, oh my, wow?
4: Yeah, because I had you know again we don't see the uh, NFC North all that often. So the few times that we've seen him, obviously he's a great player. and We played against him and stuff. But to see him day in, day out, and how he works and his practice and all that is unbelievable.
1: Yeah, he, uh, he, he I mean, obviously Devonte Adams is enjoying his time there, but he also wants to win. they got to figure out a quarterback to throw the ball to him.
3: So, and this is, the, here's the thing. In two years, this is what Green Bay is faced with. Mark Murphy's a football guy. He played the game. He played the game. Mm-hmm. And he may came in and made the assessments that yeah, Ted Thompson's a smart guy. He's picking good players, and then he hired Brian Gutekunst to make those decisions, and he hired Matt Lafleur to be the head coach. And that guy goes away in 2025. Who's going to be your next owner, if you will, of the Packers? Who's going to make those kinds of decisions? Is it going to be a football guy? Is it going to be a business guy? Is it going to be a you know cap sales promotion guy like Mark Davis? That's mm-hmm. the interesting point that's going to be coming up in two years yeah. for Green Bay.
1: Uh, let's do this. Mike, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll wrap it up. Mike Clements joining us on the hotline. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We got more coming up right after this.
2: Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is The Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
1: Good to have you back, the Bill Michaels Show. Final segment on this Friday before we get out of here. Glad you're with us. Mike Clemens joining us on the hotline. So, Mike, you're back. Now we got uh, what? We got combine on the horizon, then we get into free agency, and then we got the draft, and it's the the 24-7, 365 cycle that is the NFL.
3: Yeah, I'm trying to find out more some of these uh, uh, defensive assistant coaches that they've hired now after, you know, making the change at defensive coordinator. And then a week from next Tuesday, I'll be in Indianapolis, and then we'll get to talk to Brian Goodikens, the GM, as they start uh, the combine and looking at players there. I do have a strong whiff that, once again, there'll be changes at the combine. Bill Pelichek has started this trend, unfortunately, uh, a few years ago, where some of the coaches stopped showing up. It used to be every GM and every head coach was there, and now they're kind of handed over to the scouting departments, and that's not fun for us that are just trying to keep tabs on, on, on the teams that we're covering. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, there was a tremendous interview that uh, uh, Peter King did with Andy Reid right after the game. And they just talked about, you know, Andy's, yeah, you know, I called this play, I called corn dog and I, you know, this type of thing. But he said, it's, it's Patrick, man. It's Patrick. And Peter King was our, the, our pool reporter that was at those Chiefs practices last week, and he kept talking about, man, Mahomes is just, he's on fire. There was one practice where he threw 30 consecutive uh, completions and, and three touchdowns. And, and, and Andy said, yeah, you know, he said, on Wednesday's practice, I threw a defense at him that the 49ers run rarely, but it's something you might see. I didn't even tell him about it. He had nothing to react to. He came up to the line, he took the read, he snapped the ball, he made the right move with his feet rolling out to the right, and he found 83 in the corner and zipped him a laser and scored a touchdown to one of his tight ends, uh, Noah Gray. And Peter wrote about that. I remember him writing about that in the pool report. He goes, yeah, I I was there. I saw that. And Andy Reid said, you know what? So we watched that tape after practice. And Matt Nagy, his offensive coordinator, was there. And Andy said, man, you know, do you ever get tired of seeing those? And, and Matt Nagy said, no, <laughs> you know. <he's, laughs> right. I mean, Mahomes is, he, at 28, he's just perfect. What he does with his footwork, the accuracy of the passes, as a leadership, he's the guy to beat. you got to figure out a way to beat him. His his quarterback rating goes up like 15 points in the postseason.
1: Yeah. He's, he's been amazing I mean the fact that he on that last drive kind of took it upon himself to uh, to run twice for first downs for I mean large chunks of yardage and it's like he just flips the switch and says, "Here we go
3: you know I was one I, I, at first glance I'm like so where's Nick Bosa they're paying that guy thirty million right well you know what he was doing what he was told to do he was he would take those tackles and stand them up way outside, but at the same time he's trying to contain Patrick Mahomes at the same time trying to speed up his clock, make him throw. Bosa did what he was told to do. It's if you go after him, he's gonna he's gonna run away and he's gonna pick up 30 yards. And so you've got to somehow contain him and pick up his clock at the same time. Maybe to try and get a hand up. He's really tough to beat.
1: Mike, great stuff. It was great. Uh, you, me, Grant, Erica, Kristen, and all the work that everybody did. It was it was great. It was a great week of stuff. Good to have you home, and uh, breathe easy for a little while, and then we're all back at it very shortly. All thanks to you, Bill Michaels. Have a good weekend. Thank you, pal. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Grant, enjoy the family.
0: Do my best. I I don't know why I said that. I love my family. I I can't wait. Uh, I'll have a great weekend. You enjoy your weekend as well. (laughs) Mom and Dad, I love you. I don't know where that came from. There you
1: go. That's it. Time for us to get out of here. Until we talk again, have a good one. See you.